0: Okay, we are in in Matthew, Gospel according to Matthew chapter 1, and last week we were in the uh, genealogy of Jesus, and this is the genealogy of his supposed father, Joseph, or we might want to call him Jesus' adoptive father, because Jesus' real father was God. And... We got through verse 6 last time. Let's pick it up again from there in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 1. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abiha. Abihah the father of Asa. Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat the father of Joram. Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, the father, Manasseh the father of Ammon, and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So what you see here is a list of the kings that, that served in Jerusalem, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, and it w- went on down through Jeconiah. Jeconiah has several different names in the Bible. One of the, things, one of the names that he is called is Coniah. So Jeconiah is shortened to Coniah. And this is not unusual to have the same person called by different names. My name is James, some people call me Jim, I could be called Jimmy. There are many names that we could be called, that I could be called and, and And it's understood. You could have Richard, Rick, Dick. All of those are are changeable. And and different people prefer to be called different things. And at different times in their lives, we're called different things. And uh, there's a progression of names. Professionally, people refer to me as James Tour. Uh, My friends call me Jim. My mother calls me Jimmy. Jimmy. So there are different names that that, uh, people call us at different times in our lives. This man, Jeconiah, was a very rebellious man, and he was quite evil in the Bible. And if you look in Jeremiah chapter 22, this is beautiful, just beautiful as as, as you track this thing down. In Jeremiah chapter 22, there's a prophecy concerning the wicked Jeconiah. And in in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 28. Is this man, Coniah, a despised, shattered jar? Or is he an undesirable vessel? Why have he and his descendants been hurled out and cast into a land that they know not? O land, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down "...childless, a man who will not prosper in his days, for no man of his descendants will prosper, sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah." So the prophecy that came from Jeremiah was that this man, Coniah, or Jeconiah, will be cast out of his kingdom. And he was. It was during his time there was the deportation of the children of Israel to Babylon." And it says that no man of his descendants will ever sit on the throne of David. That's what it says. That's the prophecy. So if you go on down here, you interestingly come to, as you follow the lineage here, you come to Joseph, the supposed father of Jesus. If Joseph were the real father of Jesus, Jesus would have no right to that throne. To the throne of Israel He would have no right to that throne Because God provided a, a severing there Of this line because of this man Jeconiah None of his descendants shall ever rule again On the throne of David None of them Now let's turn to Gospel according to Luke Luke chapter 3 In Luke chapter 3, you have the genealogy, which is the genealogy actually of Mary. This is the genealogy of Mary. And you say, well, my Bible talks about, in in, uh, verse 23 of Luke chapter 3, it mentions Joseph. Actually, what would happen is the Bible, the, the normal way of listing in the Scriptures, genealogy, was never to list a woman's name. That is the way Israel listed genealogies. However, when there was a prominent woman, it would put a definite article in front of her husband's name. For example, the Joseph. And this is actually what you see here in the, in, in the proper text. You see here, and actually Joseph was not the son of Eli. It was really Mary. So it makes, it actually, the, the true wording is the Joseph, the son of Eli, but it's talking about Mary's father, Eli. This is really his father-in-law, and so this is well-tracked, the genealogy, really, of Mary. But this is the way the genealogies went, and this is common throughout the Old Testament. You skip the women's names, and you put a definite article in front of the husband's name if you're referring to the woman. And you see here, if you track this down, this starts at Joseph and works its way back to Adam. In the other genealogy, it starts at Abraham and works its way forward till you hit Jesus, and, and as this works its way on back, you will see in verse 31 of Luke chapter 3, it says, The son of Milah, the son of Menah, the son of M- M- Metathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David. You see? It says, the David's son that it tracks here is not Solomon. It is Nathan. You say, well, come on. One says, David's son Solomon. The other says, David's son Nathan. Yes, that's right. I have two sons. One is named Josiah, one is named Ben. You could track lineage through the line of Josiah, or you could track lineage then through the line of Ben. But they both have a common father. Right? Me. So there's a bifurcation that takes place where God says, never will any descendants of Jeconiah sit... On my throne. There was a proclamation made there in Jeremiah. If Joseph had been the real father, Jesus would have no right to that throne. But through his mother, he has actually every right to that throne because through his mother, his mother is not a descendant of Solomon. Although she's a descendant of David over here She's not a descendant of Solomon She's a descendant of Nathan And it's in 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 5 That you actually see that David had several sons From Bathsheba One of the sons was Nathan One of the sons was Solomon So Mary is actually of the line of David But of Nathan's line Never a cursed line do you see how beautiful this picture is and how accurate? And this is what really gets me upset. When some teenager tells me, oh, the Bible's full of errors. And I'm like, you, you can hardly go to the bathroom by yourself. And you're saying the Bible is full of errors? Do you know how many very wise men have studied this for thousands of years and seen the accuracy of this thing? And all of a sudden, in your flippant little attitude, you say it's full of errors. You have no idea what you're talking about. In fact, Will Durant, I was scurrying around to find that reference. I used to carry it in my Bible, and Will Durant, uh, he wrote The History of Civilization. Will Durant is an agnostic Jew. He wrote The History of Civilization. It's, I don't know, like 8 or 12 volumes. Has anyone ever read parts of that? It's a huge thing that... Back before you could, you could Google anything, and all of research now is just Google. I realize that. But it used to be you went to the library and you looked in books. One of the books that was there, one of the volumes that was there, was the History of Civilization. He just maps out all of human history. Well, there's this chapter called Caesar and Christ. And what Will Durant says, and I'm paraphrasing, is that if the disciples, these few men, could have made up such a compelling historical story that would have been more miraculous than anything ever claimed that jesus ever did he says as a historian the message is so compelling so if you ever say oh it's full of inaccuracies it's because you've got it wrong you just don't understand Begin to read some of the things, the thoughts that people have put and pieced together here. This genealogy is so sound. Jesus is not the heir apparent through Joseph. He is the heir to that throne through Mary and through His Father, God. He receives that throne. It is so precise. It is so good. Let's tur- turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When His mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Okay. So it says that she had been bet- betrothed to Joseph. Actually, this betrothal is, is like an engagement, but more binding than our engagements today. You know, this girl says, Oh, I was engaged to that guy, and I was engaged to that guy. I, was I mean, engagements just come and go. I really think that people ought to be more careful about engagement. Engagement for me was a very binding thing. When, when the Lord started to put Shireen on my heart, Uh, I shared it with the church and we prayed for a period of six months and I said, if we're not all in agreement as the church leadership and as, as the families, if we're not all in agreement after six months, then we just won't pursue this thing. And we didn't get engaged, we just prayed. And after six months, everybody was in agreement except the assistant pastor. And he was a dear friend of mine. And he was over the discipleship program that I was in. And so I said, okay, we won't get engaged. And the pastor said, well, wait a minute, maybe he's hearing from God, maybe we're hearing from God. Let's pray another six months. And after another six months, he gave me his blessing. I have never, ever doubted that I've married the right woman. We prayed for an entire year, and I submitted this to many people around me. A common problem in marriages is that people wonder, "Uh uh-oh, maybe I married the wrong person. You know, six months into marriage, when they see that it's not heaven on earth, they wonder, maybe I've made a mistake. I have never wondered that. Although we've had our share of problems, I have never wondered, maybe I married the wrong woman. Never. We were very careful before we got engaged. And then after that one year period, we had an engagement ceremony and we got engaged. And it was was like a ceremony for us. We invited over friends and we had a cake and... And it it was a committal to each other. And then I went off to graduate school for a year, and after graduate school for a year, I came back and we got married. Not that you have to follow that pattern, I'm just saying be careful about engagement. It is more binding in the Bible than what we make it out to be in our culture. So there was this thing of betrothal, which would usually take place a year before the marriage. So they were betrothed to be married, and it says that she was that that uh while she was betrothed, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So in the Gospel of Luke, let's turn back to Luke. Luke expands on it a bit more for us. And we'll look in Luke chapter one. And in Luke chapter one, verse twenty six, it says, Now in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, for the descend Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Look what it says in verse twenty seven. Twice it says it says there was a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, and it says the virgin's name was Mary. Is there any doubt that she's a virgin? Twice it says she's a virgin. And if you didn't hear me, I say it again. She's a virgin. In the Bible, virginity is always spoken of highly. It is always an attribute that is spoken of highly. It is a good thing to be a virgin. It is a good thing. There is no shame in it. No shame at all. And this is the same for men and for women. It is a good thing to be a virgin and to marry as a virgin. And if you're not, God is a God who forgives. But if you are, remain so. And if you're not commit from this day, that you will remain as a virgin from this day. It is a good thing and spoken of quite highly in the Bible. And coming... In verse 28, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, and, and you shall name him Jesus. And he... He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has now conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So the angel says to her, You are going to bear a child. You're going to call his name Jesus says he is going to be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give him the throne of the father david of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob and his kingdom will have no end this is a pretty profound proclamation you're going to have a son this is what his son's name is well actually i've chosen a different name for him thank you very much no this is what his name is going to be And not only this, he is going, this is what his job is going to be. His job is going to be running the country. He's going to be on the throne of his father David. He's going to reign over the house of Jacob. This was very clear to a Jew. The house of Jacob meant the house of Israel. And his kingdom would have no end. It was going to last forever. That's pretty profound, isn't it? You'd be wondering, my goodness. What's this boy going to become? He's going to become king. And he's never going to die. He's going to be king forever. This is what's going through her mind, right? No. What goes through her mind is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's still thinking back, how can it be that I'm going to get pregnant because I'm a virgin? I mean, after this great proclamation, she's still stuck on the... The birth part. You know, it really is quite interesting. She's stuck on the birth part. Well, why is she stuck there? Is there an engaged couple in here? Okay. When, when, are, you, when are you scheduled to be married? 2007. Okay. 2005 right now well let, let's say you were scheduled to be married in three months okay let's just assume you were scheduled to be married in three months not that you should you're saying let's say you were and I said to you Dixie hey Dixie um, you're going to have a son you're going to bear a son you know you're going to get married in three months you're going to have a son would you sit there and wonder how could that be That just can't be. No, you wouldn't. You really wouldn't. I mean, it's like, oh, well, in three months I'm going to get married and I'm going to have a son. It makes sense. If you're three months away from marriage and somebody says to you, oh, the Lord told me you're going to have a son, you wouldn't go, that's impossible. (laughs) You'd know you're getting married in three months and you're going to have a, you, you may have a son. All right. So what's bothering her so much about this picture? She's still stuck here. doesn't even register the, the, the prophecy concerning this guy. Just how could it be since I am a virgin? Now let me tell you something about the culture of that day that is different than the culture of this day. This is the, 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 the most shocking thing of all shocking things you might hear. Ever. This is the culture of that day. That's right. (laughs) Protect them. You might want to cover their ears and just whisper it to them afterwards. There were people in those days, there was a sect called the sect of the Essenes, but not just that sect, that would marry, but never have sexual relations. You go, huh? How can that be? Well, we love our sect. All right? And, you know, those men were amazing men. I'm not, I'm not sure that I could do that. But there were a sect of people that were very religious. The most religious, one of the most religious sects was the sect of the Essenes. And the men would marry, but they would never have sexual relations. And you say, this is absolutely absurd. Well, for our culture, it is. I was once sharing this with a dear friend of mine who goes to a Presbyterian church in town. And he said, oh, I know a couple like that. I said, "Uh, how long have they been married? He says, oh, over 30 years. I said, let me guess. I bet they are an extremely devoted couple in their service to the Lord. He said, exceedingly. They are a missionary couple and exceedingly devoted to the Lord's service. Now, what would make me know that they had to be such a devoted couple? You know, you might think that they fight all the time. They've never had a night where they didn't have an argument. No, I knew that they had to be extremely devoted. If you look in in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this chapter has been so modified to fit with our Western logic. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 one could read it this way now do i know for sure that this is the answer no but i'm saying that there are many scholars who've so agreed with this and it fits with first corinthians chapter 7 first corinthians chapter 7 it says in verse 32 but i want you to be free from concern one who is unmarried is unconcerned one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Okay? So you've got two categories. You've got the married who are diverted a bit from their service to the Lord because, you know, they're pleasing each other, serving each other, and they're having kids, and, you know, they're busy. It's just hard. You go to church, and you're carrying kids, and the kid's squirming around, and you're trying to worship, and the kid throws up down your back. This happens. Kids throw up down your back all the time. You know, you, you nurse them, you put them here, you go, boom, right down your back. It happens all the time. This is part of having kids. If you, don't want, if you don't want that to happen, don't have kids. But they throw up down your back, you know, you're just about to go to church, and, you know, usually all over the woman's clothes, just before it's church. It happens all the time. There's a lot of hassles that go with raising kids. And all of you have done this to your parents. So stop judging them so bad. They went through a lot for you. They really did. And remember, you reap what you sow and it's going to happen to you the same way. It happens. Because you're busy, but the unmarried aren't concerned about this. And the unmarried are looking at the married couples in church and wondering, what's what's, what's their problem? Well, the problem is that, you know, you came late for church and you only had to dress yourself. What if you had to dress four other people? So the married people are consumed with things. So you've got the married, you've got the unmarried. Verse 34. And his interests are divided. And the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So before we had the married and the unmarried, now it talks about the married, the unmarried, and the virgin. I don't get this. Well, actually, the virgin may well be like the Essenes, the one who is married, who's never had relations with her husband. And let's read on and see this. This I say for your own benefit, nor to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. So you see, it it lumps together the the virgin with the unmarried. The the virgin has has unfettered devotion to the Lord. That's why I knew that this couple must be greatly devoted to God. Now in verse 36, But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin, now the New American Standard sticks in the word daughter in italics, which means that, hey, we're inserting a word here that's not really here. The, the NIV doesn't try to follow the exact text. The NIV kind of wiggles it around. The New American Standard tries to follow the exact text, which a lot of times makes it a little bit harder to follow. And then when it inserts a word, it puts it in italic saying, we've inserted a word. If any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin, if she has past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do whatever he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. That word, it says, let her marry. There's a little italics there, and it says, really, the word is them. Let them marry. So if I read it without sticking in any of the italicized word is, if any man thinks that he's acting unbecomingly toward his virgin, if she's past her youth, and if it must be so, let him do whatever he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. So in other words, this Bible says, toward his virgin daughter. All right, well, if we say it is daughter, then why does it say, let them marry? Most fathers don't marry their daughters. There's another word for that. And it's not spoken of highly in the Bible to practice incest. All right? So you see what happens when you start inserting words. You've got to wiggle another word to get out of it. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has a authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin, he will do well. So then, both he who gives his own virgin in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage will do better. It may well be that the reason we have to insert so many words is this doesn't match up with a typical sect in our culture. You see what I mean? Now, is this for sure right? I don't know, but you guys are smart guys, so I present to you the different ways. Let you interpret it. You don't have to go with my interpretation. And this isn't just mine. Mary may well have been of a sect that never had sex with her husband. And I know that it it just bothers Westerners. Really bothers Westerners. Except Catholics. It doesn't bother Catholics. But it really bothers Protestants because Catholics believe that. Then it couldn't be right. Right? And I think that that's why Mary had such trouble with this. How could this be since I am a virgin? If... She was just going to get married in a couple of months. It makes good sense. Okay, well, the first kid I'll have is a, is a boy. But she's stuck on this thing of her being a virgin. And then he goes on to proclaim, and, you know, he's going to be on this throne. And Mary says, Be it done to me as you will. I'm the bond slave of the Lord. If you want to serve God, God will mix up your plans in life. As it says in Luke, as we read in Luke, The angel comes, tells this woman that she's going to bear a son. The son is not going to be the son of her husband-to-be. He tells her what his name is going to be. He tells her what his occupation is going to be. Well, thanks a lot. I thought I have a little part of this too, you know. When you serve God, He mixes up plans in your life. And this is part of service to God. You don't go any longer where you want to go. You don't dress any longer just the way you want to dress. You modify things according to what God says is right. You speak words according to what God says is right. You modify your language. And this is a process. I mean, if you've grown up as I did... I'm from New York City and, and I had a vocabulary with a lot of very short words. And I didn't even realize it. They just came out all the time. And God just worked in my life over a period of months and years to just work that out of me. He modifies our behavior. And this is what it means to be a believer. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. To the extent that we yield to God is to the extent that we receive blessing from God. Mary could well have said, well, duh, I have no intention of doing this. I mean, I like to go to uh, Claire's and, you know, or buy earrings and do all this kind of stuff. And I kind of want Joseph. I mean, he looks pretty attractive to me. And she could well have said that. But she said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, do to me according to your will. Very much what Jesus said in John chapter 12. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And a voice came out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus said... Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify Thy name. This is the cost of discipleship. This is the cost of walking with God. Our careers are not our own. You pray and you seek God regarding your career path. Lord, lead me into what You would have me. Who you marry is not your own decision, only. It could be, you can choose. Or you could say, God, lead in this decision. Lead in this decision. To the extent that we yield to God, we see the tremendous blessings in our life. And our life is composed of a series of events where God puts things before us. Will we choose His way or won't we? Will we even ask him which is your way? When I got the offer from Rice University to, to move here, I had had several other offers, and the offer was very attractive. and And I remember I need some outside counsel here. I submitted this to my father, who's an unbeliever, but I respect his counsel because he is my father. Did we have a great relationship? No. I cannot remember once growing up that my father picked up a baseball or a football or a tennis ball or a beach ball and threw it to me. He was too busy. He was always working. And my mother would take us to the beach or do things with us, take us to the Little League games. Or My father was never around. But you know, it was a different generation then. And he didn't have Dr. Dobson and focus on the family and all these things instructing him. And we weren't members of a church. So he didn't have all this instruction. He did the best he knew how. And what he knew was you put food on the table and you're a good father. And I respect him because he is my father. And I submitted this to my father-in-law. And I respect him because he is my father-in-law. And he's a man of prayer. And I submitted it to my father-in-law. And I submitted it to my pastor and I remember when I went to call my pastor to tell him about this offer that I had from Rice, and how you know, it just the offer just kept getting better and better and better. And I finally decided to call him. I didn't I didn't want to present to him all the time when I had outside offers. I had a lot of them. And so I finally called him. And and then when I called him, I, I said, "Hi, this is Jim Tour, and, and I want to talk to you about something." And this is before the days of uh, caller ID. Very few people had caller ID back then. And he said he was reaching for the phone. He says, this is interesting. He says, Jim, I was reaching for the phone. And God spoke to my heart that it's you. And that you'd be calling me to tell me that you're going to be leaving the fellowship. And he says, I hate that thought. But I believe it's the will of God. I called my father-in-law. And he says... After prayer, I have no hesitations about that move. I called my father, and after going with him, through him the offer and the salary and everything, he said, very quickly, because he doesn't pray, he said, Jim, you would be an idiot not to take that offer. You see why I'm so frank about things? (laughs) But for me, that was confirmation. That was confirmation. God does this. But I submitted it to God and to people around me that could help me to hear. The same with my marriage. And I have never doubted in my marriage that I made the right decision. I have never doubted when I came here that I made the right decision. God will provide confirmation in your life through things. If you so ask Him. Mary saw this vision of an angel. You know, maybe she thought, well, what a dream last night. I don't smoke. <laughs> what happened to me? You know, if something happens like that, you're wondering, was this real? But then all of a sudden, she becomes pregnant. <laughs> I guess it was real. There's confirmation. And then her, her, her husband B. Joseph, later on, gets some revelation, too, that further confirms this. But walking the Christian life is often a series of yieldings to God and seeing blessing. And what we see in the Scriptures is mostly what we see is people who didn't yield to God and the outcome of that and what they lost. And we look at them and we think, You dummy! Why didn't you just believe God? And he'd have delivered you. But instead of doing that, you, you, you hired the Egyptians to protect you. I mean, God said he would protect you. Why didn't you believe? Sure, you had a million Ethiopians around your city saying that they were going to kill you. But the prophet said God would deliver you. Why didn't you believe Isaiah? He's a good guy. You read the Bible a lot. Why didn't you believe him? God calls us into positions of faith. Where the Bible speaks to our hearts. And will we believe it? Will we take hold of it and see the blessing of God? Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And then when you read down, it says in verse 24 And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took Mary as his wife. But he kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And many people point to this and they say, you see, she did remain a virgin until she gave birth to Jesus. Until then. And then it ended, and then Jesus' brothers were born through Joseph. That may well be. There is another reading of that as well. You know, the Bible uses this word until, until she gave birth. That until, you know, the Bible says in uh, in, uh uh, Deuteronomy thirty four six it says it says God buried Moses who buried Moses God buried Moses that's what it says God buried Moses and it is written in Deuteronomy thirty four verse six no man knows where Moses is buried until this day well does that mean that on the day that that man whoever it was transcribed that Deuteronomy thirty four six immediately. On that day, they knew where Moses was buried. It says, uh, Michal, Michal, David's first wife, when she made fun of him dancing before the Lord. And she said, you know, you've lost your dignity. In Second Samuel 6, verse 23, it says, And the Lord closed her womb, and she had no child until the day of her death. Okay, so on the day of her death, she bore Twins. She had no children until the day of her death. And then she had twins on the day of her death. Because if until means immediately, or could until mean, and it can, from then on. It is one thought. And that, is, that actually is interesting because if you, in, in John chapter 19, verse 26, let's just turn there. John chapter 19, verse 26. You say, well, the Bible talks about Jesus' brothers. Where did Jesus' brothers come from? Well, in the Middle East, even today, you call cousins brothers. You really do. And I'm not saying that this is for sure right. I'm just saying, you guys are smart, so think about it. In John chapter 19, verse 26, Jesus is on the cross. And as He's dying on the cross, He makes a proclamation and He says, When Jesus saw... Then saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. That means John. Standing nearby. He said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. So here she moves in to John's home. For John to take care of. Well, what about Jesus' brothers? If he had a bunch of brothers... Why didn't you move into James's home? You say, well, James wasn't a believer. Well, he wasn't. But Jesus knew that within 40 days he was going to be a believer because Jesus was going to rise on the third day and witness to a bunch of people, one of them being James, and James was going to come to know the Lord and become a leader in the church. Just a thought. Just a thought. But you guys are smart. So I just drop it there. You figure it out. You figure it out. Look at it. One thing we do know, virginity was prized. Absolutely prized. Let's end with verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to put her away secretly. We've touched on this before when we covered that section on scriptural sexual ethics. And Joseph All he knew is that this woman was pregnant. The woman who he was betrothed to, he had never slept with, and she was pregnant. That's the only word he knew at this point. And instead of having her killed, which he could have done in Israel, because if a woman had a child, was pregnant, outside of wedlock, she was called an adulteress, and she was killed. They took big stones and they threw it at her. Till she died. Joseph could have had her killed. It disgraces Joseph. It makes him look really bad that this woman is pregnant. And you really believe that people are going to believe that it wasn't through Joseph? Oh, come on, Joseph. She's a pretty woman and you just couldn't wait. Come on, Joseph. We know. This disgraces him and disgraces his whole family. But he, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. This is the type of husband you want. You want a husband who seeks never to disgrace you, but only to cover for you, only to protect you, only to even cover from your sin. Cover your sin and protect it so that there's not large amounts of people that know about this. You want a husband who doesn't go around saying, You know what my wife does? You know what my wife said last night? To me and the kids? (laughs) You don't want a husband like that. You want a husband that covers for you. This is what Joseph was, and it says he was a righteous man. This is what righteous men do. They cover for their wives. Righteous men cover their wives and protect them and desire their dignity and their honor. Women, pray that you get a husband like Joseph who would cover for your weaknesses, who would always want your best. That is who Joseph was. Let's close in prayer.